You're listening to the King's Oahu podcast. We hope today you're inspired, your faith is built up, and that you're encouraged by today's word. Today we're celebrating Palm Sunday. This is the Sunday before Easter. We all know that Easter or Resurrection Sunday, as it should be called, is the day that Jesus rose from the dead three days after his crucifixion. The Sunday before Resurrection Sunday is the day that we just read about. It's the powerful illustrated sermon that you guys already saw, the powerful play. Jesus rode in to Jerusalem on a donkey. We couldn't get a donkey for today. I'm so sorry. But Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, and the crowds proclaimed him as their Messiah. He, they proclaimed him as their king. And this is incredibly significant because up until this point, Jesus had done everything he could to avoid public attention. In fact, whenever Jesus would heal somebody, he would charge them with this. He would say, I want you to not tell anybody what happened. Even when he would raise the dead, he told the family, don't tell anybody what I've done. Now that is a hard command to keep. Can you imagine Jesus just changing your life, Jesus healing your body, setting you free, and then telling you, now don't tell anybody? Does anybody think that you'd be able to do that? Probably not, and neither could the people that he told. They went around and they told everybody anyway, and the word about Jesus spread. People flocked to Jesus to, to hear him preach, and he did miracles, and he healed, and raised the dead, and multiplied the fish and the loaves, and he, the, I love what the Bible says, that he went around and doing good, and healing all who were pressed to the enemy. But here at this moment, there's a crossroads in Jesus' ministry. He knows the cross is coming. He knows that it's his time. And so in this moment, he embraces the moment. And he tells his disciples to go get him the colt of a donkey in direct fulfillment of a prophetic word spoken by the prophet Zechariah. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt of the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Donkeys are a sign of peace and gentleness. This is a direct correlation to Jesus being the Prince of Peace. You know, if I was Jesus, I would not have chosen a donkey. Let's just be honest. I would have gotten the finest stallion that I could get my hands on, and I would have galloped on that thing into Jerusalem and been the hero, been the, been the conquering king, been the, being the, the general, but that's not the prophetic picture that God wanted. And even in this prophetic word, we see Jesus, we see the Messiah coming in on a donkey, on the foal of a donkey, which was a sign of peace. During times of war, kings would ride horses. During times of peace, they would ride donkeys. Now, what's incredibly interesting is during this time in Israel's history, Israel is under foreign occupation. They're occupied by the Romans. It would have made total sense for Jesus to come in on a war horse. He'd say, all right, guys, we're doing this. But that's not the kingdom that he had in mind. Jesus came to bring a spiritual kingdom. Jesus came to bring a kingdom of peace upon the earth. And here's, this is a word for somebody today. You could be going through hell right now. You can be going through the worst time in your life. 
May we even look at the world around us. There's so much fear. There's so much people, you know, declaring economic woe and, and horrible things taking place. Can I tell you what? If Jesus is Lord and Savior of your life, you have peace in every situation. And I love the Hebrew word for peace, which is shalom, which means wholeness. Nothing broken, nothing missing. You can have perfect wholeness in your life. You can have perfect peace in the midst of every storm. Amen. In the midst of every situation. And in the world that we're living in, anybody ever feel like you have not just the right, but the obligation to freak out? It's like you look at the world going around you and you're, and you're just tripping out. You're freaking out. You feel like you have to, like something's wrong with you if you don't. You ever get around that? Like you're freaking out and, you, and someone's around you and they're just, they're just chilling. You're like, what's wrong with you? You should be freaking out right now. You know, when you have Jesus with you, what did Jesus do when he was in the boat during the storm? He was sleeping. Come on, you can be sleeping in the back of the boat. You can be at total peace in the middle of a storm. Amen. Jesus came to be the Prince of Peace. The Prince of Peace, not just to the world, but to you personally. And he came in as a, as a declaration of peace. There's another incredibly significant thing about what we see taking place, and that's that Jesus came on an unbroken colt. Notice the Bible says that this was a donkey that no one had ever ridden before. Now, they, that may not mean a lot to you today. Anybody here ever train a dog? Anybody here ever try to train a dog? <laughs> I got more hands going up for that one. You know, um, you might not know this about me, but I grew up in Montana on a farm, and I was homeschooled. So if you look at me and you're ever like, why is Pastor Andrew like that? It's just now you know, okay? <laughs> Homeschooler, farm boy, Montana, all you need to know, okay? Praise God I turned out the way I did. I mean, I could have been a lot worse. But I, I remember as, as a young man, I was about 10 years old, and we, we had goats. Anybody ever raised goats before? Man, talk, talk about a good time. No, I'm just kidding. Talk about craziness. And I thought it would be a good idea. I, I don't know how I got this in my system, but I read somewhere, saw somewhere people training these pack goats. Or it's exactly what it sounds. I'm looking at me like, what? It's like, you take a goat and you put like a backpack on it, like a, like a pack horse, and then you take it hiking and camping and stuff like that. So I was like, I'm going to do that. And so I took it upon myself to train one of our goats. Now, if you thought training a dog was hard, can I, can I just tell you that, that goats have their own agenda? Goats have their own opinions about what way they think things should be happening, right? They're, they're pulling and tugging this way and that. I actually had the goat save my life one time because I fell in the river and the goat was like, I ain't going in. And so the goat just stood there and, and pulled and, and I pulled myself back in. And as a kid, I'm like, the, goats, the goat loved me. It saved my life. No, it didn't. It just didn't want to drown. And thank, thank God I was holding on to the leash. But, but you see this, this correlation here because here Jesus chooses a donkey that isn't trained. Now, if you think goats are stubborn, oh my gosh, look, look at a donkey. And just for the record, guys, I'm so sorry, but I have to do this. Anybody ever seen Shrek before? They'll do, donkey. Okay, enough. I just had to, just had to get it out of my system. But Jesus says to his disciples, he says, I want you to go find me a donkey. And not just any donkey. He tells them where to look. He says, you're going to go into town. You're going to see a donkey tied up. Go untie the donkey. Now, that's, that's bold. You know what I mean? Can you imagine if someone went to your house and started untying your dog? Or just, you know, started like, take, took your cat. You'd be like, what are you, dude, what are you doing? Like, you'd probably do more than that. You'd probably tackle him. 
Right? He's, he, Jesus sends them in. Go just take a donkey, just unassuming. Just walk into their house. Start untying their donkey. And when you're, when, when you're asked, what are you doing? Obviously, someone's going to ask that. Say, the Lord has need of it. And God had already gone into this moment, into the situation, because amazingly, the owner of the donkey was like, all right, go for it. Take my donkey. And so they take this unbroken donkey to Jesus. It had never been ridden, never been trained. And yet this donkey submits to his Lord. This donkey submits to Jesus. Now, if you think about it, we're just like that donkey. I want, you, I want you to think with this through me. The donkey's tied up. Where were we when Jesus found us? We were tied up. We were bound by sin. We were bound by shame. We were bound by our lusts and by our vices. And yet Jesus came and he untied us. It's a symbol of freedom. Notice that the, the owner of the donkey let the donkey go. You and I had a previous owner. We were owned by the devil. We were owned by sin. We were slaves of sin. And it, because of what Jesus has done on the cross, you and I are free. We have a new lease on life because of Christ. Because Jesus came and he set us free. And I just love this statement. The Lord has need of it. Can I just tell you today, the Lord has need of you. Now, I don't know about you, but I struggle with insecurity. When I, when I think about myself and I compare myself to others, it's not good. And can I just let you know, the reason why you should drop comparison is it does not help you one bit whatsoever. Comparison will either make you feel incredibly insecure or incredibly proud. Both are bad. Just don't go there. God's called you for something. God's called the other person for something else. When we get to heaven, God's not going to grade us on a curve. God's not going to compare you to your neighbor. God's not going to compare you to your parents. God's not going to compare you to your siblings. He's going to compare you to Jesus. So buckle up. <laughs> but I struggle with comparison. And you know what I love about this, this story? Do you know what the only qualification for the donkey was? That Jesus chose it. Out of all the donkeys in that town, Jesus said, I want that donkey. You know, church, the only qualification that we need is that Jesus has chosen us. You know, you might not be, you might not consider yourself to be the most talented. You might not consider yourself to be the most anointed or the best looking or the best talker or the best this or the best that. And the way that our world works, we live in a culture of comparison. We're always comparing ourselves with one another. That's basically the whole idea of social media is to compare your life with everybody else. We live in a world full of comparison, but can I tell you what? God wants to free you. Because God didn't choose you because you were better than anybody else. God didn't choose you because you had some outstanding qualification. He chose you just because he chose you. And that's it. Jesus could have chosen any of the donkeys, any of the animals in that town, but he chose that one. My prayer is today that that would bring freedom to you. That brought freedom to me, even just preparing the sermon. That if Jesus has chosen you, that's enough. That's all that you need. Yes, training is important. You know, we want to, as a church, we want to equip you and, you know, give you the tools you need to be effective. But when it comes to qualification, it's only one thing. 
the call of God. Be confident that he's called you. That is all that you need to know. And just like that donkey, we become the carriers of God's glory. Just, just think about it. Hear this. This little donkey has the privilege of carrying Jesus on his back. Now, I just, you know, this is the way my brain works. Sorry, I'm weird. But I grew up in Montana, so it is what it is. So this, this donkey begins to take Jesus through the streets, and people are throwing their coats in front of it. People are cheering, putting down the palm branches. I'm sure the donkey at some point got in his head. He's like, man, I must be a really good-looking donkey or something. Like, man, I, I am the donkey of the year. And he's just moving through, and everybody's celebrating him and cheering him and, and, and shouting Hosanna. And man, if I was the donkey, I would be like, okay, let's do this thing. They're cheering for me. I must be great. Not realizing that it was all about who he was carrying. You know, the Bible tells us that we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the glory might be of God and not of us. You know where people get into trouble? They start thinking that the miracles are because of them. They start thinking that the, the breakthrough, the anointing, the influence, the giftedness is because of them. And we fail to realize that it's Jesus Christ who's within us that's using us, that all we are. And this is a statement that should bring incredible humility, but also incredible confidence. All we are is carriers of God's glory. All we are is carriers of Jesus Christ. You can bring Jesus into your workplace. You can bring Jesus into your neighborhood. That testimony that you heard, that was TJ and Kelly and the rest of our team bringing Jesus into their neighborhood. Amen. You can bring Jesus into every situation. When you show up at work, the atmosphere should change because you bring Jesus into that place. Amen. When you go to your school, you're bringing Jesus. Amen. When you, when you interact with your family, and I know many of us have, have family members, members that are un unsaved. Maybe you're the only Christian in your family. When you go home, you're bringing Jesus into that atmosphere. Amen. Just like that donkey, you're carrying the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The next C, first one was colts. The next one is cloaks. I want you to write that down. Colts, cloaks, and crowds. So the, what's the significance of the cloak? The cloak was the, was the outer garment. Back in that day, the people in Israel, they wore two articles of clothing. They had a tunic. In first service, I called it a dress, which is pretty much what it was. And then they had an outer garment, which is kind of like a, a bathrobe, if you will, or like almost like a, a blanket that you'd, you'd wrap over yourself. And it, what it was, it, it was an outer garment to keep you warm. Now, the, the cloak was of incredible significance to the people of Israel. In fact, in the book of Exodus, chapter 22, verse 26 through 27, just to give this some context, it says that if you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset. Because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. You know, nowadays, if you, if you want to take like a restroom key from a restaurant, what do you normally do? You give them your driver's license. That's, that's your collateral. Or maybe if you, you know, you borrow something, oftentimes... You leave your driver's license. Why? Because you ain't getting very far without your driver's license. And because you're going to have to go back, and even though the thing you have is of great value, you want your driver's license more. So back in, back in the Old Testament, they would sometimes leave their cloak as collateral, but God told them very specifically, do not hold on to that collateral overnight. 
Because if you do, that person might freeze. That person could suffer severe harm because that's the only cloak they have. You know, you and me, we're, we're incredibly blessed. We probably have more clothes than we know what to do with. Right? We go to the mall, we go shopping, and then we have to give away our old clothes to make room for the new clothes. We have multiple jackets, multiple cloaks, you know, different color, different time of year, you know, whatever. Back in the day, they just had one. And so for them to take their cloak, their, their most prized possession, their livelihood, and lay it at the feet of Jesus was an act of incredible homage. It was an act of incredible surrender. And think about this as well. Their, their social status would have, been, would have been signified in this article of clothing. If you were rich, you would have had a much more elaborate, you know, clothing cloak. And yet rich and poor alike are laying their everything before Jesus. They're laying it down. Now, I don't like anyone getting any dirt on my cloak. Let me tell you what I'm, tell me what I'm saying. You know, I have this nice, you know, white jacket, but I got some dirt on it. It's like, dude, I can't wear that thing anymore. That's why I refuse to wear white shoes, because they get dirty, no matter how hard you try. You know, we don't like getting our clothes dirty, but can you imagine taking off your nice new jacket and throwing it on the ground so a donkey could walk on it? Oh my goodness, we wouldn't do that. And yet they were doing that in the Bible and that was their only cloak. That was the only article of that kind of clothing that many of them would have had. They were saying, Jesus, I'm, I'm exalting you. I want you to be higher than the rest. It's, it's basically, I'm throwing my life before you because you're king, because you're Messiah, because you're worthy. There's another parallel that we see in the book of 2 Kings. There is this individual by the name of Jehu who was the man that God used to dismantle Ahab's dynasty. Anybody remember Ahab and Jezebel? Prophet Elijah, right? So Ahab and Jezebel were king and queen of Israel. And Abraham had since died, but Jezebel is ruling, and God anoints this man named Jehu to dethrone Jezebel, to end Ahab's dynasty. And read, read what it says. In 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 12, it says, That's not true, they said. Tell us, Jehu said, here is what he told me. This is what the Lord says. Listen to this. I anoint you king over Israel. They quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. What did they do? They took their cloaks. And you notice it was an immediate response. Like, oh, you're king? Okay, shoot, here's my jacket. Why don't you walk on it? Why? Because it was a culturally appropriate form of showing homage to royalty. They're saying, okay, you're the king? Well, here you go. Let's roll out the red carpet. But it was more than that. It was them taking their, the clothes off of their back for their king to walk on. So there's this incredible declaration of the, of the sovereignty of Christ, of the Jews recognizing who this was that was riding in to Jerusalem. Let me ask you this question this morning. What are you laying down before Jesus? Can I ask you a, a provoking question? How much does your worship cost you? You know, in a lot of countries around the world, you go to church and you worship God, you could be killed for that. Or you could go to jail or you could suffer economic woe simply by being a Christian and worshiping publicly. And in the United States, I'm not going to say there's no persecution. There, there is, but it's more social than anything else. But what does your worship cost you? And sometimes I'm afraid that our worship's too easy, that our worship's too cheap, that it doesn't really cost us anything.
And there's a statement that David makes in the Old Testament where he says, I will not give to the Lord that which costs me nothing. If it doesn't cost you anything, it's not really worship. You're just singing a song. And I want to ask you, what are you giving the Lord? Paul says in Romans, to offer our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Another translation says this is your reasonable service. God doesn't just want our singing, even though I thank God that we have an incredible worship team. We have incredible worship leaders. We have an incredible media team. Man, they make it easy to worship the Lord. I've been in some churches where it wasn't very easy to worship the Lord. Moving on. <laughs> thank God they made, that worship cost me something. I'm just, okay, anyway. <laughs> like, it's out of key. Okay, I'll worship anyway. Thank God that's not this church. My only distraction is that I'm irritated by how talented Pastor Milo is. But that's comparison, and we're not going to go there. Okay. <laughs> but God wants more than just a song. He wants your heart. And that's, that's why in this church, that's why we encourage you to serve. That's why we encourage you to give. Dr. Morocco said it on this video, that we're not just going to worship God with our voices and with singing, but we're going to worship God with our giving so that other people can hear the gospel. You know, giving is probably the most significant act of worship that we do. Why? Because it's our blood, our sweat, and our tears. Y'all work hard for your money. And we live in Hawaii where it doesn't go so far. And a half a gallon of milk is six bucks. But yet when you give to the Lord, you're worshiping him. And it's a worship that's not cheap. It's a worship that actually costs. It's a worship that actually hurts a little bit. What are you laying before the Lord? And I know I'm preaching to the choir because you guys make tremendous sacrifices for God. Many of you, you could be at work making more money, but you decided to be here. You could be doing any other function, but you decided to be here at church. I know this is a sacrifice. I know this is significant. So please hear me. I know that this is something that you guys are already doing, but let me ask you this is can we do more? Can we worship the Lord more intentionally? Can we worship the Lord with greater fervor? Can we, can we lay more of who we are down before him? Amen. The next C is crowds. This crowd that flocked to see Jesus wasn't much different than the crowds that we see today. People were there for different reasons. Number one, you had the follower, those convinced of Christ's sovereignty, taking the responsibility to usher in his presence. Think about the disciples. They went out of their way to get the donkey. They bring the donkey to Jesus. They lift Jesus up, put him on the donkey, put their own cloaks on the donkey to make a saddle. And they proclaim Christ as he's coming in to Jerusalem. I tell you what, that's who I want to be. I don't want to just come to church to spectate. I don't want to just come to church to watch. I want to be actively involved in ushering in the presence of God. Amen? So you have the follower. Then you have the desperate. You have people that are in need of a miracle. We're told of one time in the Bible where this woman, we know her as the woman with the issue of blood. She knew that if I could just touch the helm of Christ's garment, I'll be healed. So she pushed through the crowd to just touch him. And she touches Jesus, and Jesus says, your faith has healed you. I guarantee you there were people in the crowd that had that same conviction. If I could just touch Jesus, if I could just get to him, I'd have a miracle. My life would be changed. And as we gather together, as we have services, we have church, there's desperate people here that need a touch from God. That's why we're always going to be a church that prays for people. 
You know how many times we've had church growth people tell us, stop praying for people, it's weird? We know. But people need prayer. People need to receive from the Lord. And if they don't get prayed for at church, where are they going to get prayed for? There's people that are desperate for a miracle, and you better believe we're going to have an opportunity to touch Jesus here at this church. Amen? So we have the follower. We have the desperate. We have the grateful, those who he's healed and he's already delivered. How many grateful saints do we have in the house today? Where we're here with the Lord, not necessarily because we have a need, but because we're so grateful for what he's done. And we've gathered to worship, and we've gathered to express gratitude for who he is and what he's done. You have the grateful, and then you have the spectator. The spectator, observing but refusing to participate. We have people like that today. Don't look at your neighbor. Where we come into church and we're like, okay, impress me. Pastor, what have you got? Now, I am fully aware that we're not the only church on the island. There are wonderful churches. There are wonderful pastors on the island. Many of them are our friends. This isn't the only shop in town. We are very well aware of that. But sometimes, because we have such a a plethora of different houses of worship, because there's so many places that we can go, it's easy to develop this culture where we show up to church just to be preached to, just to listen. And it's almost like this moviegoer mentality. Where it's like, okay, let's, let's see how you stack up next to the other church. Let's see what church I like better. Let's see what church meets my needs the most this week. Now, I'm not saying that it's not the church's position to meet the needs of the community. It is. And if you're coming here to get blessed, that's awesome. But it needs to be more than that. And we can't just show up to church to spectate and to watch because you're going to miss what God wants to do. Every time that Jesus would heal somebody, you'll notice that there was something specific that motivated him. Yes, he was moved by compassion, but there's a statement that Jesus makes over and over again. And he says, according to your faith, be it done. Or just like that woman with the issue of blood that I mentioned, your faith has healed you. What does that mean? It means that this idea that God's gonna just show up and do what God's gonna do because he's sovereign isn't necessarily what the Bible says. Yes, God's sovereign, but he's given us free will, and he's not going to violate our free will under any circumstance. That's why God's given us faith. The Bible says without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible to receive from God without faith. If we come to church without faith and saying, okay, God, just impress me. If you're real, impress me. God reserves the right to refuse service. But if we come to the Lord and, we're, and we say, God, I believe you. God, I'm desperate for a miracle. Even if we're like that father in the, in the gospels that says, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. How many of you feel like that sometimes? That's a good prayer right there. Even if we come to the Lord like that, we say, God, I believe that you can touch me. I believe that you can move in my life. I believe that you can do a miracle. God will meet you in your desperation. God will meet you in your faith. But if we show up to spectate, if we show up to watch, but we refuse to engage we're gonna leave church the same way that we walked in it's like that statement you can lead a horse to water but you can't make him drink I know we're comparing people to animals left and right this morning but (laughs) just bear with me lead a donkey to water I'm just kidding we need to be more than just spectators church 
We need to engage. We need to engage in worship. We need to engage in, even in ministry and in, in serving. Why do, you might ask, why does this church push serving so hard? It's like, I've never been to a church that pushes you so hard to give and to serve. It's because we're trying to help you. We want you to be used by God because we know how much joy and fulfillment comes out of it. And I love what Dr. Morocco says. He says, we want to make you look good on Judgment Day. When we stand before God and God's like, all right, show me your life. Show me what you did for me. You're going to thank God that this was your church. And you had pastors yelling at you, telling you to serve God. We're like, okay, thank you. We need to be more than just spectators. God wants to use you to do something great for his kingdom. Amen. But after spectators, it actually gets worse. We have the critic. The critic is more concerned about how things are perceived. And there's a need to analyze everything. Anyone ever been there before? I know I have. Where you show up and you're kind of like the, uh, the authority on how things should be done. You know, and, and I, I've been in this place before too. You know, there's times where you know, I remember years ago, I visited, you know, a family member's church in the mainland. And, you know, and this is, you know, I was young and immature back then and very unspiritual. And I, and I almost had this attitude of, I know how church should be done. And I'm just kind of watching and being really critical. I didn't realize I was being critical. And I was like, well, they should do this different. They should do that different. Anybody ever been there? Don't, don't, you know, we all have some brave people in here. We've all been there before. But the problem is, is we don't receive from God that way. It's very easy to walk into a place and find out what's wrong. It's very easy to become the authority on how everything should be done. Now, now, hear me out. We're very open to suggestions, all right? If, if God's put something in your heart, by all means, let us know. But if we come to the, but it's all about posture. And if we come to God with the wrong posture, and instead of coming to church to encounter the Lord and to serve and to give, but we're showing up just, okay, what can you do for me? How do you stack up to the church down the street? Or I can do this better than you can. I know it should be done. It will actually rob us from what God wants to do in our life. It will rob us from the moment. Amen. And so here in this story, we had the Pharisees being more concerned about the perception than about the moment that they were in. Here, this is the moment in history that the people have been waiting for for their entire life. And yet the Pharisees are more concerned about what are the Romans gonna think about this commotion? Saying Jesus, the, the, the people are being, being too loud, more concerned about perception, more concerned about what it looks like than engaging in what God is doing. We need to be very careful of that. They're saying, you know, don't, don't be too loud. You know, one of the things, I, we did our Meet the Pastors today, which I want to encourage you, if you've never, never come and been a part of that, come and join us. We have a great breakfast. A lot of people here think, hey, maybe, I don't know if I've been there or not, maybe I should go. Every, every first Sunday of the month, you're, everyone's invited. Um, if you've never joined us before, we'd love to have you come be a part of it. Um, it's our Meet the Pastors. We have you know, we get to know each other and we, we teach a little bit about our church. And one of the things, statements that we make all the time is that we are an unapologetically Pente Pentecostal church. We're unapologetically spirit-filled. We speak in tongues, we pray for the sick, we do all of that. 
Now, it could be very easy to think, okay, guys, don't, don't get crazy. You don't think that's a little too emotional? That's a little, you're being a little too loud for being in church? People are going to think you're a bunch of fanatics? Well, I've seen people get even crazier watching a football game. You know, when, 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 when you're feeling it and you're, you're watching a game, whether you're at a stadium or whether you're at home eating wings on Super Bowl Sunday, man, I've seen people get Pentecostal watching a football game. During a game, everybody's Pentecostal. Everybody's praying. Everybody's shouting. If you can get like that for a ball, why can't we get like that for Jesus? Let me tell you what. Souls getting saved, people going to heaven is a whole lot more important than a pigskin going from one end of the field to another. And yet, culturally, it's okay to get excited about one. But when we come to church, oh, don't get too loud. People are going to think you're crazy. People are going to think you're a bunch of fanatics. Don't get undignified. I love what David said. He said, I'll become even more undignified than this. Why? Because this is important. And when you're engaged in something that matters, you don't care what you look like. Anybody ever been late for a flight before? You know, it's so funny. When, when you travel and you're walking through the airport, I like looking cool when I'm at the airport. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I just kind of strut, carry my roller bag. You know, because you're sure everyone's watching you where absolutely nobody is, right? You're just, you know, you're just, you're just chilling, getting to your gate. You know, you got your jumpsuit on or whatever it is you fly in. You know, I used to fly back and forth between Maui and Oahu every week. I thought it was super cool to fly in a suit because people think I was like important or something. The older I get, I'm like, bro, I just want to travel in surf shorts and a t-shirt and slippers because it's easy to take off when you're in the, when you're going through security. But, you know, we think, oh, we, but we try to be dignified and be calm, cool, and collected. But then when you're missing, when your flight's about to take off, all that goes out the door. You're running, you're screaming, you're carrying your bag, you're, you know, you're half leaving behind your kids, right? You're, you're, you forget about appearance when there's something more important that's on the line. And how many of you know when it comes to our worship, when it comes to the eternal destiny of other people, when it comes to being used by God, there's something more than appearance, there's something more than looking dignified, than looking cool at church. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that I am convinced you can be Pentecostal and not be weird. That's actually something I love about our church. <laughs> it's awesome. God can move. We, we, you know, we move in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We do all of it. And yet somehow, at least I think, we're incredibly normal. Other people might have a very different opinion. So I'm not saying be weird. But what I am saying is quit worrying about what you look like and just do what matters, amen? And just focus on what is important. And here in this story, we have the critics being concerned about the appearance, the commotion, and even being concerned, and you saw it in the play of, of heresy. Jesus, you, you need to stop what they're doing because they're proclaiming you as Messiah. They're proclaiming you as king. You can't, you can't possibly be okay with this. And we have that same thing existing today where they say, oh, you can pray, but don't pray in the name of Jesus. Don't, don't mention Jesus or people are going to get upset. Well, then why are we doing anything? Christianity, Christ, anyway. It's all about Jesus. There is no Christianity without Christ. Amen. That, like I said during communion, there's a lot of religions that... You have good works and good teaching and stuff like that, but Christianity is different because we have Jesus. And that is everything about who we are, is it's Jesus through and through, amen? But not only do you have critics, there's actually one category worse, and there's people that I, 
I call destroyers. You notice here that after this took place, the Pharisees begin to plot even harder. How can they kill Jesus? They even said to themselves that all our work is doing nothing because the whole world is going after him. They were concerned about losing their popularity, losing their position. All the, everyone flocking to Jesus and, and put, you know, the political unrest that it could cause. They're like, we need to shut this man down. And a week later, less than a week later, they actually killed him. And the devil thought he won. But then Resurrection Sunday came. Amen. But you have people that are hell-bent on destroying the work of God. And they were in that very crowd. But there's another group. And this is my favorite. That's the rocks. And I love this statement. Because here they tell Jesus, you need to calm, calm your people down. Tell them to be quiet. And Jesus' statement is just like, it's like out of left field. You're, he's like, if I tell them to be quiet, even the rocks will cry out. What is Jesus saying? This wasn't just a clever retort. This wasn't just a smart comeback that Jesus had. It wasn't just to leave people baffled and confused. I want you to read what it says in the Psalms. Psalms 24, verse 1 through 2. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it. For he founded it on the seas and established it on the waters. Psalms 114, verse 6 through 8. Why mountains did you leap like rams? You hills like lambs. Tremble earth at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of God, of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool and the hard rock into springs of water. It says elsewhere in Scripture that the heavens declare the glory of God. Let me tell you one thing. The rocks and all creation only cry out for one person, and that's their creator. So the way that I see this statement that Jesus made is, okay, you're upset because they're proclaiming me as king. You're upset because they're proclaiming me as Messiah. Try this on for size. If they're quiet, creation itself will worship me. What's Jesus doing? He's upping the ante. He's saying, all right, I know you're going to kill me anyway. I'm not just king. I'm not just Messiah. But I'm God. I'm creator. And Jesus is saying that if the people are silenced, that creation itself will worship him. Jesus says, creation will worship me. So I want to ask you this morning, Pastor Milo, if you could come back up to the platform. Who are you in the crowd today? Are you the follower? Are you doing everything you can to usher in the presence of God? Or it's not about you. It's about his glory. It's about how he wants, what he wants to do in the service, how he wants to touch other people. Are you the one that's desperate and let me tell you what I want this always to be a church that's filled with desperate hungry people if we ever lose our desperation we're in trouble maybe you're the grateful maybe you're just so in awe of what Jesus has done in your life or maybe and, and there's no condemnation let's be real we've all been at many of these places before Maybe you, you've come in as a spectator. You know what, let's just be real. That's an okay place to start. You maybe spectate one game and then you got to get in. But if, if we've been a spectator for the last five years or more, something's off. You know, maybe we find ourselves being critical. and You know, sometimes that can come because of hurt or bad experiences. And maybe we're just waiting we're like well that church hurt me when is this church gonna hurt me 
happen, guys. I know. I know. But God wants to free you. God wants to free you this morning so that we can come before Him and worship Him. Amen. Usher in His glory so that we can receive all that He has in store for us today. Thank you for joining us today. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and share with your friends. And for more great content, go to kcoahu.com. Thanks again for listening and God bless you.